I am. I'm really looking forward to it. So, <laughs> so today, um, for those of you who might not be super familiar with the liturgical calendar of the church, we are officially entering our time of Advent. And Advent is the four weeks that lead us into Christmas Day. Um, it's a time of, of preparation for the birth of Jesus, who, as we know, is at the center of all that we do as a church community. And so this is a really um, special time. It's one of my favorite seasons on the sort of uh, church calendar. Um, and normally, um, there's four themes, um, hope, love, peace, and joy, that are sort of the four weeks of Advent. Um, and typically, as pastors, we preach on those topics each week. But this year, all of the Mission Gathering churches decided that we wanted to do something a little bit different. And so we actually are going to be doing a sermon series on the unsung heroes of the Christmas story, uh, which I'm really excited about doing. Um, because if I were to ask you to name the, the characters of the sort of Christmas story, you would probably say Mary and Joseph, Jesus, uh, the wise men, you know, King Herod. These would be sort of the characters that you're used to hearing about. But there are dozens of other characters that have a part, a really essential part in the Christmas story. And so we wanted to... Uh, talk about some of those minor, quote-unquote, minor characters um, who make appearances throughout the story, but who actually are really important and really fascinating and really interesting parts of this story. Um, and so today we're going to start with Elizabeth. How many of you have heard of Elizabeth as part of the Christmas story? All right, a few people. Uh, excellent. Um, so Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. John the Baptist being um, sort of the prophet who preceded Jesus and paved the way for Jesus's ministry and entrance into this world. Um, and she is a really cool character. Um, I didn't know that much about her until I started really doing research for this sermon, and uh, she's really cool. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about her today. So the first thing that um, we have to talk about when we talk about Elizabeth is the fact that she is the mother of John the Baptist. And so um, sort of this whole birth and mothering narrative that she um, sort of does in parallel with Mary. Um, her Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist at the same time that Mary was pregnant with Jesus. Um, but Elizabeth's story is slightly different than Mary's story. So Elizabeth was actually barren. She could not have children. Um, her and her husband um, tried and tried and tried, but could not have children. Um, and this was uh, especially considered problematic uh, back in biblical times. Um, because according to the book of Deuteronomy, um, those who followed God's laws and were faithful and upright and righteous and just and all these things could not be barren. So if you were barren, according to Hebrew, the Hebrew Bible, that meant that you were sinful, that you were not following God's laws. This was sort of the assumptions that went along with not being able to have children. And you were, it was just, it was considered that you, you were not in God's favor if you couldn't have children. And so as a result, there was a lot of shame associated with being barren, um, not only because of these Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, 
Oh, I can't even say that word. What? Deuteronomic. Deuteronomic laws. <laughs> this is why we keep Megan around to help me say words I do not know how to say, apparently. But yeah, not only because of the laws in Deuteronomy, I'll say it that way, it's easier for me. But also because in this society, women's main function was having children. So they didn't have jobs, so they weren't economic providers to the household. That, that one of their main roles in society was having children. And so if you couldn't have children, there was sort of this thought of like, what good are you? What are you offering to society if you aren't producing children who will then go on to you know, help society and help economically and everything like that? And so there was just a lot of shame associated with being a woman who could not have children. And yet it's interesting because we see over and over in the Bible all of these women who were barren who then went on to have children of great significance to the story and to God. So Sarah, the wife of Abraham, was barren for her entire life until one day she had Isaac, who went on to be a pretty big character in the Bible. There was Hannah, who gave birth to Samuel. Samuel is one of the prophets. There's a, uh, you know, lots of, of stories about him in the Hebrew Bible as well. But Hannah, who was Samuel's mother, was also barren for a really long time. And then we have Elizabeth, who was barren for a really long time and then ended up having John the Baptist, another significant person in the Bible. And that's because God has a way of turning what society says is shameful and flipping it sort of on its head and making great and wonderful things out of this. So all these women who are barren, whose society said, you're no good, you're worthless, you can't have kids, you should be ashamed of yourself. God's like, um, I'm actually going to you know, partner with these women and they're going to have children who go on to do incredible things. And as a result, these women do incredible things. And I, I just always think it's really cool that God has this way of taking whatever we as humans say is bad or whatever we as humans say is like pushing people to the margins and saying, you're not good enough because of this. And God's like, actually, we're going to take that. We're going to flip it around and we're going to make really cool and great and amazing things happen out of that. And that's what happens to Elizabeth here. But, it, but Elizabeth is more than just... A mother. That's obviously a really important piece of her story, but she's also really great for other things. So Elizabeth is married to a, a priest named Zechariah. And so in these times, priests were like exalted as being the most faithful, the most religiously observant, the closest to God because they knew all the laws and they followed them and they worshiped God and they were in the temple. And sort of all of these benefits went with being a priest. And yet it turns out in this story that Elizabeth is actually a more faithful follower of God than her husband, Zechariah, the priest. So Zechariah is in the temple, and an angel comes to Zechariah and says, Zechariah, your wife is going to have a baby. You're going to name him John. He's going to be super important. And Zechariah did not believe it at all. He was like, nope, how's that possible? My wife's super old. She's barren. This just isn't going to be possible. And so he has a literal angel come down and tell him that this is what's going to happen. And he chooses not to believe it. And as a result, he's actually made mute. So the angel's like, all right, you didn't believe me. You can no longer talk anymore. 
So they were not messing around at this point in time of our story. And so he goes home and somehow communicates to his wife that she's going to be pregnant with this child. I don't know how he does it because he can't talk, so I'm assuming he writes it down, but there's a good chance that she couldn't read. So however he did this, maybe he did charades and mined it and was like, pregnant. Um, She eventually gets the point. I'm paraphrasing. This is not literally what the Bible says. I do a lot of paraphrasing when I preach, but you get the point. (laughs) So he communicates to her that this is what's going to happen, and she immediately believes it. She immediately knows and has such faith in God that she trusts that this is exactly what's going to happen. Even though all of the evidence would say this isn't going to happen because she's barren. She's way past the age of being able to have a child anyway. But she immediately believes it. Even though she wasn't told by an angel. She was told by her husband who is somehow communicating this to her. But she instantly believes it because that's, what, that's how great her faith was in God. That she was like, if God is saying that I'm going to have a child, then that's exactly what's going to happen. And this is also a a woman who has every right and reason to have no hope when it comes to childbirth. I mean, it's been proven over and over in her life that she couldn't have a child. Again, she's at an age where it just really is not even physically possible for you to have a child. And yet, because of her faith in God, she immediately believes that this is true and that it's going to happen. And as a result of this, so this story is happening in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Um, And that's important because as a result of her faith, Luke describes Elizabeth as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that might seem like kind of a minor thing or like, okay, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. But for Luke, this is a really, really important theme in his gospel. If someone is described as being filled with the Holy Spirit, for Luke, that means that they are a prophet of God. So think about this. Zechariah, the priest, doesn't believe and becomes mute. He literally loses his voice. And then his wife, who's just this barren woman who probably no one is paying attention to, has such great faith That she becomes a prophetic voice in the gospel of Luke because of her faith and because of her belief in God. And this is a huge thing because Elizabeth was actually the first person in the gospel of Luke to be considered a prophetic voice. She's a woman, a barren woman who should be filled with shame. And yet instead she is filled with the Holy Spirit and becomes a prophetic voice as the first prophetic voice of this path that leads directly to the birth of Jesus. And this is, you know, this belongs, this, this begins a long thematic arc of Luke's gospel of people who are on the margins, people who are oppressed, people who are supposed to be ashamed of themselves because they've broken this law or that law or they're not following whatever it is. This is, a, this is a, a theme in Luke's gospel of those being the people who are found most fit in God's eyes and in Jesus' eyes to do great and wonderful and amazing things. That these priests who are supposed to be these holy religious leaders are often found lacking, while the people who society has pushed to the side and said, you should be ashamed of who you are, are the ones that God says, I'm going to use you and I'm going to partner with you and I'm going to co-create with you. And Elizabeth is our first example of that. 
in this story. And I think that that is really sort of the key to setting up the entire gospel of Luke, the entire story of Jesus' life. It starts with this woman who is barren, and she is the one who starts this idea and this theme that it doesn't matter what society thinks of you. It only matters that what God thinks of you. And God thinks very, very, very highly of Elizabeth because of her faith in God. And as a result, she becomes the first prophet in the Gospel of Luke. And I think that is super cool. And so I think Elizabeth is just a really fascinating character. And there's more to her story um, that we won't get into right now. But I do encourage you to, to read more about Elizabeth, to open up your Bible to the Gospel of Luke and read uh, the first chapter and, and learn more about all of the things that Elizabeth does and how, you know, she's a character that a lot of us have never really heard of and never really thought about, and yet she's just really, really important piece of the story of Jesus' birth. And this is another thing that happens a lot for us. I think we focus so often on the major characters of the Bible that we forget that there's all these other characters in the Bible who have so much to teach us about who God is and who we as humans are. And, um, you know, so Elizabeth is at least lucky enough to be named. There are so many characters in all of these stories that never even get named, that never, um, we don't know much about, and yet who still play crucial roles in the narrative of Jesus and the narrative of God as a whole. I um, had a friend who shared a story with me one time, um, speaking of, of people going unnamed in the Bible, and he was in seminary with her, and she had just had a, a baby, and it was a boy, and um, he was named, I don't remember the actual name, but it was something like Isaiah Luke, and he asked, like, oh, why did you name him Isaiah Luke? And she was like, oh, that's my two favorite male characters in the Bible, and he was like, oh, that's so interesting. He was like, what would your... Um, child have been named if it was born a girl. And she said, oh, she probably would have been named unnamed woman, unnamed woman. Um, And that story really, when he told me that, I was like, oh yeah, there are all of these unnamed women in the Bible who, who are so crucial and pivotal to the story who just never get named because at that point in time, you know, they could be just minor side characters that no one really had to care about. Um, and yet we see that they push the story forward and they, they really are the ones who hold up a lot of the story of Jesus and of the Bible. And Elizabeth, you know, she's at least named, but she's still often ignored and forgotten about as a really important person. Um, but she, she, you know, she really is the one who starts off the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus' birth, is started with her. And so when we think about this story as we move forward and saying like, okay, so what are we supposed to take from this story? I think there are a few things that we're supposed to take of. I think take away from this. And I think one of them is that, you know, remembering that God often flips our worldview on its head. Whatever we think as a, as a society or as a community about certain people or certain groups, God often like throws that completely away and says, nope, I'm going to do really great things with this and with this and with this person and because of this. And so looking in your life, where are the parts in your life where you might feel shame or you might feel like there's flaws? And then think, how could God enter into that space and actually use that to benefit the world? Because there's a lot of pieces of ourselves that we think are not enough or that we think we should be embarrassed about or we think is this some great flaw in our character. 
And if we read any story in the Bible, we're going to see God taking these character flaws, quote unquote, or these pieces that we should be embarrassed about and using them to do great things. So I want to challenge you to re-examine some of the pieces in your life that you might have like locked away or ignored because you're like, ugh, that's a bad piece of me. Um, and think, actually, is there a way that that could be a good piece? Is there a way that that could be used to advance the radical love of God in this world. And I think you'll be surprised when you actually take time to do that. I think another thing that we need to look at, again, kind of relating back to the the idea of uh, the unnamed women in the Bible or the unnamed characters, is how many unnamed people in our society currently or in our communities or even in our families or our friend groups or whoever are doing really amazing things that we're not paying attention to because we think we don't need to pay attention to them or that they can't be doing anything cool enough that I need to be focused on. But really look around you and see all of the amazing things that ordinary people are doing all the time. I think sometimes we as a society get so caught up in a celebrity or in a politician or an athlete and what they are or aren't doing that we forget about all of the things that the people around us are doing. And so how many unnamed people are there in your world that you can name? And naming is such an important thing. This is kind of a tangent um, on all of this, but naming things is like one of the most important things in the Bible is giving something or someone a name. And that the most powerful thing you can do, I think, in interactions with people is remembering their name. It seems like such a little thing. But when you remember someone's name, there's this idea that you know them, that you have remembered them. And so don't allow people in your life to go unnamed. But be intentional about Getting to even just know their physical name can go a long way in getting to know who they are and helping them feel like they're known. And so we get to know Elizabeth in this because we know her name, but, but pay attention to those people around you who, whose name you don't know, and as a result, you might not know them, and reach out and connect with that name and tell them your name and see where that interaction can take you. Because naming people And using their name and having your name used is one of the most um, important ways of feeling known to someone else. And so that was a little aside, but I want to push you in that direction as well as as we sort of move forward um, from this place and think about the ways in which we can interact with this story in our gospel. And I think that's one of the biggest ways that we can do that is making sure we recognize people, that we name them, and that we recognize ourselves and all of the ways in which we can continually bring about the love and the justice and the compassion of God in our world. And so I want to pray with you real quick. Gracious and loving God, we are thankful for you. We are thankful that you know us and that you name us. That even if we don't believe we're an important part of the story, we know that we still have a place and that you recognize that place, God. I pray that you continually challenge us to name others, to see where the small characters in our story and in our world are making a big difference. 
challenge us to open our eyes more fully to those around us and open our hearts to the deeds that they are doing, God. Continue to push us forward together as a community in radical love and compassion and grace. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.